And the reason I want to talk about uh, this incident, which was dubbed Bushgate, is because, well, actually, it's it's quite a fun story. If you go on LinkedIn, for example, all you see is basically successes or sometimes failures of others, but we're not really open to share our own failures. Sort of started to live by a guideline which says there's no shame in failure, only growth. There is there's so much well astonishment, like how could this happen? I mean, wow, what's going on? Hey everyone, welcome to the Bol.com Tech Lab podcast. We share our experience with you. Speaking behind the screens of IT and tech in general at Bol.com, the largest e-commerce platform in the Netherlands and Belgium. We are sharing our approach to IT, e-commerce and retail platforms. The hosts of the show, Peter Paul van der Beek and Peter Brouwers. Welcome. Great to have you back with our podcast. And if you're a regular listener of the podcast or a Bol.com or e-commerce watcher, you know this season is very important for us as a company. Actually, it's also a yearly recurring theme in the podcast. And as you're probably aware, also uptime responsiveness of our app and website are crucial to us. And you might have noticed that enabling our software engineers to perform at their peak is very, very important to us. Eh? Enabling teams and engineers is what we do to build a great place to engineer. However, sometimes things just go sour. A perfect storm occurs and it's definitely not a tailwind. So as our CTO would say, never waste a good crisis. Crisis. We have to learn from what happened. And today we're going to explore one of those incidents. And it might be just like investigating a plane crash that we might discover that there's not just one go thing going wrong, but it's a perfect storm and multiple things happen and things go wrong in a certain short span of time. Let's dive into this. Yes, let's dive into this, yes. Um, yeah, back then uh, we were talking about uh, the start of the season 2019, so two years ago, uh, and uh, it was the 1st of November, towards the end of the working day, uh, and uh, yeah, things uh, went wrong in the in the environment of uh, of our Bol.com app. And um, yeah, back then I was uh, manager on duty. That's true. Peter Paul uh, asked it in the in the preparation. And uh, that meant that uh, yeah, I took over from the team that was um, leading the incident, and uh, yeah, we had to uh, to work uh, during the evening and uh, also in the weekend to to solve uh, stuff. But actually, it it wasn't not myself to 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 talk about this incident. I reached out to the guest of the show because he he made some nice posts on uh, on LinkedIn, some nice articles. We will publish them in the in the show notes. But uh, yeah, our guest uh, said, yeah, it's it's nice to talk about those uh, those posts. But actually, I want to talk about this incident. So uh, yeah, we dove into history and uh, and uh, said, yeah, it's a good idea. So Peter Paul, time to introduce uh, the guest and uh, let's start this discussion. Yeah. So today with us is uh, Julius van Dis. He's a full stack engineer at uh, Flock, and he worked uh, until March this year at uh, at Bol.com where he was responsible for app development, especially the backend of the app. And he's been uh, yeah, involved in uh, projects like making the app uh, multilingual, uh, migration and integration of a new gateway, um, uh, basket API, all kinds of things. 
Well, read more about it in his uh, in his blogs. He uh, published several uh, of them. Uh, um, so yeah, and uh, we actually reached out to him as Peter was saying, uh, OK, maybe you want to talk about these blogs in the, in the, in the podcast. But then he came back to us and he said, ah, I actually have a way more interesting topic than that. Can I talk to you about that? So Julius, uh, why is this uh, yeah, such an important topic to you? Hi, hi guys. Thank you for having me on the show. It's, uh, it's great. First of all, let me say that it's uh, very nice to be here. I've listened to a few of your uh, podcasts already uh, and they're really nice to listen to. Um, and the reason I want to talk about uh, this incident, which was dubbed Bushgate, is because, well, actually, it's it's quite a fun story, not necessarily in terms of, uh, you know, the stress that we experienced during the day or things that actually went wrong, but it's interesting because we are all human in the end, and humans do make mistakes. There's no getting around that. Um, so rather than actually focusing on meticulously trying to do everything right, we should start to share our failures a little bit more, which is something we're not really used to. If you go on LinkedIn, for example, all you see is basically successes or sometimes failures of others, but we're not really open to share our own failures. Um, but I sort of started to live by a guideline which says there's no shame in failure, only growth, because the cost of failure in the end is education. And with that, I want to bring this this topic to you as well. Cool. Yeah, great. So for our listeners, could you provide some some context about what part of the bol.com landscape are we going to talk in this episode and what kind of services were involved? Sure, to give a little bit of context, first of all, we're going to talk about the bol.com app itself, that the iOS app and also the, the Android app. Um, but we're also going to talk about the gateway that's in front of the mobile app. That is basically a small service that's responsible for a little bit of uh, authorization, doing a little bit of rate limiting and actually making sure the requests go to the right service because that gateway is not only responsible for uh, dealing with traffic that goes through the app, but also deals with um, partner services. So uh, retailers that actually use the API to update their stock and to, you know, uh, visualize their catalog, they can use that as well. And there are quite a few others uh, behind the, uh, the gateway as well. So we'll talk about that one. Uh, we'll definitely talk about everything that's still between the internet and that actual gateway, because there's still quite a lot going on in there, uh, as we'll see in a bit. And we're gonna gently um, graze the Webshop as well, www.bol.com. Ooh, okay. That that gives already some of the context. And let let's start with yeah. What was the perspective of the of the customers? What happened? What what did they experience? What? Let me let let me start a little differently. Let me start with the perspective that I had because I was actually there from the beginning, not actually okay. knowing what was going on. But let's let's see if we can we can take it from there. Because it was indeed on a, on a, well, not snowy, but misty Friday afternoon, half past four. And I was actually sort of done with my work for the week. And I was just chatting up with an Android developer asking about some metrics for their Android app. Say, how, how do you actually measure how many users are online at any given moment? And 
as we were talking about that, we saw the number of users in the Android app rising, and it kept on rising. And I and I asked, is this normal? I mean, could be. I mean, it's Friday afternoon. Everybody's done with working. Maybe people start shopping. And it was like, well, no. This is actually already double the numbers that we normally see on a Friday afternoon. And it basically kept on growing. And then all of a sudden, from the other corner of the room, uh, a team member of mine shouted, hey, our gateway, it's uh, it's getting way too much traffic. It's, it's like in order of like thousands of requests per second, whereas normally that would be in the order of hundreds of requests per second. And as he said that, numbers still kept on growing and kept on growing. And we we didn't really know what to do at that point in time. So we started asking around to uh, uh, to the, to the op operations office, basically, who were in charge, saying, hey, uh, we see a lot of traffic coming in. Is there anything going wrong? What's going on? And within well, I want to say seconds, but it's probably going to be a minute or so, two messages popped up. The first one was from a penetration tester saying, hey, I think I may have caused this searching users. I found an exploit in our push notification service called Simple Post Office. Um, and I tried to send a message to myself to actually prove that there is an exploit, um, filled in my customer number, and I also checked this broadcast flag which I didn't think would do anything. Um, and then I did actually receive something, uh, but I think I might not be the only one. <clears throat> yeah. And then, and then in seconds, another engineer said, I just received this weird push notification saying test, and another one saying it's just an empty push notification, which doesn't really seem to do anything if I try to open it. And that's basically the moment that chaos, well, emerged yeah. and things got really crazy from there so the numbers kept on kept on surging especially for, for for android and alarms started ringing and people from security said please come to the war room we have a major incident we have a crisis here we know it's late we know it's friday but all hell just broke loose please yeah. get here as soon as possible and that's how it started <laughs> That's how it started. It was well, I will, I will, the, yeah. it's, the message it's was sent on a quarter to five, and then at five, this message came in say, "Come to the war room now. We have a major crisis on our hands." Yeah, yeah, we have a specific area in in Bol.com uh, where we uh, where we come together in uh, when it's possible and uh, to come together in a physical way. It's called the war room or the red room or so, and then uh, yeah, we uh, we team up and uh, yeah then we need to find out what's happening, right? Yeah. <laughs> but I was, I was, it's new for me that uh, that uh, the coincident that you were looking into the, the graphs and, and saw this really happening. <laughs> that was, that's new for me. <laughs> what a coincidence. Yeah. That was really a coincidence. I mean, I mean, the alarms we'd probably still hear, hear from, the, from the API gateway and saying, hey, we get too much traffic. But actually looking at the numbers from the Android app and seeing them rise as it happened was quite a, was, was quite a thing, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Okay, and then you're called into this red room, war room, whatever it's called, and and and, and it will be packed with system engineers, software engineers, all puzzled, looking everywhere. What's happening then? How get how do we get from this chaos to kind of a process solving it? 
It basically started with uh, appointing someone to be the incident manager. And I think that was one of the guys who was usually at C6 as well. Right, C6 is basically the area where Dead Red Room is located. Um, and we had indeed a couple of app engineers, backend app engineers, um, some systems engineers, and more security related engineers, um, and some product owners that were just there to you know, make sure how to get ahead of this incident and basically know what to say to people when people start asking questions. Um, and the leader or the incident manager basically said status report, status report, what is going on? What are the symptoms that we're currently seeing? So we can actually start identifying what is going on. Well, said one guy, bold.com seems to be down. I can't even I can't even access the website for some reason. I can't open the app, it doesn't work. Um, and another engineer shouted, I found something. If I actually click on the push notification, my app opens. It actually starts loading the app like it usually would, but then it crashes and it starts to do it again and again and again. And that just basically triggered a, a boot loop um, trying to connect to vol.com again and again and again, which would actually lead into uh, a DDoS, right? a distributed denial of service, which we've orchestrated ourselves by trying to, to uh, send out use an exploit. Yeah. <laughs> hey, so, so, Ed, so from a customer perspective, he would have his Android phone, he would get the pop-up message, click the pop-up message, Oh, nothing's happened. Oh, it's restarting. It's restarting. It's restarting. And that in kind of an endless loop. That's yes. from customer perspective. And that that's what the customer would see. But that's only on Android. We actually figured out. We didn't know at the time. Uh, because if, if you would do that on an iOS, you would actually click on a push notification. The app would open. It would sort of recognize that it can't handle or can't parse uh, the incoming message. It would just happily ignore it and load the app as it would normally do. Um, so there wasn't necessarily a problem on, on, in that area in terms of a boot loop. Um, however, because the Android app, or basically Android apps, because you, you know we have quite a lot of users, was actually triggering so many calls, it was actually creating a DDoS, as, as, as I said before, um, basically disabling or not enabling anyone else to use bull.com in the way they're used to. And it actually trickled down to www.bol.com, so, so the web shop, it trickled down to API users, so that would be indeed uh, partners trying to, you know, update their catalog, um, uh, and but also the app itself. So it didn't really matter if you were using Android or iOS, you couldn't use it. Because of this share, shared uh, components. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Hey, the, 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 uh, engineer in the room who said, okay, I think I found something. It's probably this. And that's okay. I think that there, there's then like a, a hypothesis from, oh, that this could be a candidate. Let's explore whether this is really the case or not. And what happens after that? There were two things that we, that we did. We, we basically split into two groups because the app bringing down or app users bringing down the web shop or app users bringing down, uh, uh, you know, the, the, the retailer platform is not something that we should allow. And it was actually something that was on a wish list of one of the systems engineer engineers for a long time, which sort of predicted that at one point in time, we're probably going to get a DDoS for our web shop and we're going to bring down the app or vice versa. 
And this actually happened. So he was like, okay, I know what to do. Please put me in a room, get me two other systems engineer, and I'll fix this. Which he actually did in 11 minutes, which is crazy. He made sure that all traffic from the web shop was actually split from all traffic that would actually go to the app and the API, so that to our gateway essentially. Meaning that within 11 minutes after first saying, hey, bull.com is down, he managed to get the web shop back up and running again. So people yeah, actually we, shopping online could go their business again. Yeah, so with the web shop, you mean the, the www part, right? Exactly. So uh, if yeah. you're in a browser basically and going to bull.com, then yeah. within 11 minutes after, well, after five basically, then you would uh, be able to use it again. However, if you would use the app, that would not be possible. Um, so we had two subgroups basically, um, one on a more systems level and um, on, a, on a technical level, trying to figure out how can we sort of prevent this incoming flood of traffic, because there are so many connections trying to be made from all these different mobile devices towards ball.com, but it's only happening actually from Android. So can we start with just shutting down the whole gateway, just not letting any traffic that's you know aimed for the app or or the API? Can we start shutting that down? So we can actually, you know, get the systems back up and running, and then from there see where we'll, where we'll go. Um, and that happened basically parallel with the splitting of the traffic from web and app. Um, and after that actually happened, we could actually lift the ban on our API gateway again um, and make it a little more specific to not only to not block every any traffic that's coming in, but only traffic specifically meant for the app. So you would actually get the partner and the retail services back up and running again. Because even if you would go to Albert Heijn and try to pick up your package, the scanner wouldn't work because it actually needs to fire a request to a bull.com saying, hey, I want to scan this package and I want to make sure it's delivered to the customer. But mm -hmm. the, the scanner just wouldn't work for, for some time. So the crazy thing is that um, we had that one group focusing on, okay, how can we you know, focus on uh, on, on, on the more technical level, get the number of requests down and work on, on that side. And on the other hand, we had the app engineers thinking about, hey, how can we try to tackle the actual problem that is happening? Why is actually, why are we triggering a boot loop on Android? What, what's, what's the reason for it? And why doesn't it happen on iOS? Oh, yes. yeah. And the answer is quite, well, simple or maybe a little bit trivial or, you know, um, essentially what iOS had done and Android didn't was a simple try catch around the parsing of that message. So whenever iOS tried to parse a push notification message, so basically after you click on a push notification, the app opens and then the context of the push notification is read into the app and then parsed so you can actually go somewhere because maybe it's a push notification saying, hey, you should go to a wish list or you should go to this advertisement or you know it's a marketing campaign. Um, but sometimes that just doesn't work, uh, apparently. <laughs> and sometimes it works so badly that you can't even parse the structure because you expect some sort of JSON structure, which suddenly isn't there because it just contains the string test. Well, sure. it just contains the, that string, it, it's no JSON, so it actually breaks. And iOS actually was able to recover from that because they had a try-catch mechanism and Android didn't explicitly have that, but they had sort of like a top level catch. We just say, ah, if anything goes wrong, if anything goes sideways, we'll just you know close the app, start it up again, and try it again. But if you're trying to do something again, which doesn't work, of course, it doesn't work the second time 
or in this case, it doesn't work the second time, and it just kept on going and going and going. Is, is that a default default behavior in in Android, or is that uh, what you define yourself in your uh, app development? Uh, I am no Android engineer, so I might be a little out of my league, but I'm assuming that that is default behavior if you write an app that you have sort of have a top level catch mechanism, which says if anything goes wrong, I need to yeah. do something. And I guess yeah. the most easy behavior is just do a restart because typically you basically clear the cache, you sort of forget what was going on and you start with a fresh session to some extent. Um, so for example, if that happens when timeouts occur on the back end or when you just get back a 500 because, well, the server had a hiccup or something, um, it's not the worst thing to do. But of course, if you're trying to keep on parsing a message which you can't parse, yeah, then, then it's an issue indeed. Mm -hmm. sure. Now, the tricky thing is we had a version of our app without this try-catch mechanism installed on maybe a million devices. We can solve it on our own device or you know, in the code in five or 10 minutes. That's no problem. You just write a try-catch around it, fine. But then the question arises, how do you distribute that to a million users? And it, it's not as simple as it would be for a web, website. If you want to you know, update the website, you basically publish a new index HTML or you know, the, the static files, basically. Uh, and everybody who hits refresh or from that point on comes to your website gets the new version. So crisis relatively easily avoided. But if you're dealing with a mobile app, there should be a trigger for people to either manually or the system to start installing that new version in which it was actually solved. And we knew that with the mechanism that Google Play services actually use for Android, typically users update overnight because that's basically the, the default setting. If you go to sleep, you're not using your phone. So Google says somewhere between 10 and 4 o'clock, something like that, let's update all your apps. Um, and don't basically do it outside of that, 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 that window. But that's only if you are on automatic update, app updates. Now imagine if you're a more cautious user and you don't just wanna blindly update everything, then you actually require a manual action from a user to say, I want to install this. But all in all, it is a manual action needed that's probably gonna take a lot of time. It was 17, 15, so quarter past five or something. And we needed that fixed now. So what are we going to do? Question mark. Yeah. So so and, uh, to 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 summarize it, the the, the web shop on uh, on the browser was already working again. You split the traffic, so iOS was also working. I think. Uh, yes and yes no. And it, no. It took a little no. more time. So, um, so we st we started with splitting the traffic between between web and then everything else. Then we were able to split the traffic between uh, app and API traffic. So everything that has not to do with API or with the app could actually work again. And then from there, we started to see, okay, can we block specifically um, Android. Android traffic? Would that be possible? And we, we tried a few options. Um, and after I think two or three iterations, what it came to is what well, it was actually using a header that we send along with every request for the app in which we present something of an equivalent of a user agent header. Normally in a browser, right, you send along, this is the type of browser I use, and it's, well, for browsers, it's hard to 
bars these days because everything is the same. Um, but we do a, something similar for, for the apps. And that clearly states um, on what platform you are, so either Android or I iOS, but it also states what version of the app you're using. And that's actually a mechanism that we that we use plenty to make sure that we um, serve some uh, some additional stuff for newer apps, and we can leave out some unimportant stuff for older apps because, well, app updates is is already an issue. If you're interested in that, I do have a blog post written uh, on on the topic. I uh, I think I lost my my train. Yeah. Here. So, but but that was trying to summarize uh, to to summarize it. Eh? So in the one room we were doing this split in traffic. So uh, parts of the the landscape were coming back again, were available again, and in the other room, people were working on the app and to to solve the issue with with the Android app itself. Yeah. And then we had to find a way to distribute that one to to the customers, exactly. right? Uh -huh. Yeah. And the distribution was the hard part. So what we actually did is we actually re-released our previous version or a current version of the app, uh, because actually trying to release a new version of the app um, means that you need to go through an, uh, a review proposal or a review service basically from Google. Uh, it's the same for, for Apple and Google. Apple's even a little more, more, more uptight about it. Um, so we knew we didn't basically have the time to do that. So if we just released in the same version as now, but with a higher version, um, then actually the install would actually trigger um, to break off that cycle. That's something we tested locally as well, and it would actually work. Um, and that was sort of the best that we could do from an app perspective, because you're working with, you know, all those devices and all those, you know, versions installed on devices. We couldn't just say we do a snip, snip of the finger and everything is done. Uh, even though we tried that, we tried to change the authorization mechanism so that it would actually break for everybody. We tried to shut down specific app APIs to sort of stop that flow, which, which didn't work. Um, we tried to introduce the try catch somehow in a mechanism that would actually send it back through JSON and then maybe the app would adopt it. But well, already thinking about it was like, okay, this is probably not going to work. Uh, so we had, a, we had a lot of, 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 of things going on. And indeed we had, um, we had this, this, this incident manager coming by every, I think 30 minutes or so, 45 minutes coming yeah, in the room update. saying, <laughs> okay, guys, status update. I don't yeah. care. You know, if, if you solve it, just take five minutes to update everyone, know where we are. Uh, so we actually, um, keep everybody informed and we can also actually tell the outside world that we're you know shut down for now and that we can you know at least give some perspective on what we expect to be up and running as well um, because as i said we had pool.com the web shop that was down so if you go in a browser the app was down but we also had uh, you know the the, the pickup service for your packages that albert hand was what was down so it was really important to actually inform people whether their services would still be offline or whether they would be online again. Yeah, exactly. And and so and then uh, after a while you find out, okay, this is the way to 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 push it to the to the customers. But still that took uh, took time to uh, to reach them all, right? That took quite a while. So huh. in the end what we were able to do is we were able to recognize those users or, or traffic coming in from certain IP addresses, basically, 
that we could classify as this is a user or this is a machine or a device that's in a boot loop. So we can specifically target you and actually blacklist you. Um, and in that way, basically disallow all that traffic and let every other traffic um, flow through such that users that weren't in a boot loop could actually start using the app again. But that took quite a while. I, th I think that was around eight or nine o'clock even, even though the incident started at five. So it's, 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 it's been quite a hectic period in which there is there's so much, well, astonishment, like how could this happen? I mean, wow, what's going on? Going from stuff like, wow, our API gateway is really strong. We never expected it could handle this much traffic. And a little bit of surprise as well, like, oh, I'm so happy we we managed to do this little thing like two or three weeks back, which is now able to more granular, granularly um, block or rate limit traffic. So it's only limited to, I think it was actually wishlist. So wishlist functionality wouldn't work, but any other functionality in the app would actually work again. And we're like, wow, I'm so happy we did that. that, that, that that's such a great learning point for us as well, that sometimes, you know, the little things and working on, um, uh, on prevention rather than, you know, this new business feature is actually quite important. So we, uh, in, during that evening, we learned quite a lot. Yeah. I can also, um, and so, yeah, maybe uh, it's good then to, to see, okay, um, things came back when, when we started to push the, the, the new, the renewed version, so to say. Uh, but you also said something like uh, we had to blacklist uh, some IPs. Why, why was that exactly? So we were at some point in time, we were able to identify uh, which IPs um, caused traffic that, that, that was coincidental with the pattern that we saw for a boot loop. So it was the, were those typical requests that you see during startup of the app, like uh, getting a session to get getting a session at ball.com. Uh, do the identification part. You know which customer are you? Okay, start at the 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 main screen. So that's basically your home screen. But also get your wishlist information because on every product that we actually show in the app, we should indicate whether it's already in your wishlist yes or no. So we basically knew what those calls were, and because we couldn't let every traffic in still. Um, by blocking those users who were in a boot loop, we could enable the users who weren't to actually use the app as they were, well, as they were used to, more or less minus the wishlist part. Yeah, so, and then you were able to, to open up again for the, for the users basically that got the Basically for everybody, yeah. except those users who were still in a boot yeah. loop. Um, and the, the way to, for a user to get out of the boot loop was either to kill the app by yourself Right, go to the overview of the apps that are open and actually swipe it away saying, I, I killed this app, then it actually stops as well. And then you can reopen it and then it works as well. Um, or by actually installing that new version. Um, but well, the, the latter takes a lot, quite a lot of time before it actually propagates through Google Play services and actually to your phone. Um, and for the first one, well, not everybody is an active app killer. I know a lot, lot of, lots of people, if you op if you check which apps are open, it's like a long mm -hmm. list, which, <laughs> which they never close, which makes sense if you're not too much of a techie. I mean, you have the same in browsers, right? You have those people who have like 20,000 tabs open and never close them. And if you close one for them, it's like, no, don't close it. I might need that information at some point. <laughs> yeah, I recognize it. I'm one of them <laughs> with the apps. Yeah. <laughs> 
Hey, and can you share something about side effects that uh, that were also triggered with this? Um, from what you remember, think about logging or that kind of stuff. Uh, side effects. It's a good question, actually. Um, of course, bringing down the web shop was definitely a side effect. Was was well, yeah. the whole thing was a side effect because it was, of course, unintended. Um, but besides the things that we've talked about, um, what happens if the app starts up? It actually tries to log some metrics, so we uh, can get some measurements and some business reports on how many different users were actually using the app, how often a certain user, <coughs> or not a certain user, how often uh, users in general would open the app. So like 10% of our customers would open the app more than once a week, those kind of statistics. Um, but because we get such a huge income or incoming flood of requests and you know apps opening and opening and opening and opening again, that whole statistics for Android was basically, well, useless for at least that period. And because it was just the start of the month, I believe it was sort of disrupted for the whole of November, which was really, well, which, which was a shame. And at the same time, because we were sending so much requests, we actually um, went over the, the, the service level agreement that we had with that third party that was actually collecting those metrics, um, actually costing us quite a bit of money because we had to pay for that additional influx that we actually cost. And I think that a third party actually had some issues with the amount of traffic coming in as well. And they, I think they operated a little, well, less optimal as well. So there was their response times dropped as well for, uh, for at least their API. Yeah, exactly. That, that was what we needed to do in the weekend afterwards as well. And we had to, uh, to, to check the, uh, the IP addresses that were on the blacklist, if they are, uh, okay again, and then, then we need to open up them. But also uh, find out ways to to fix the the issue with this whole metrics and 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 uh, uh, the data coming from this party. Uh, how do we handle that on our servers? Uh, that, that that was such a load that we uh, we needed to take steps as well over there. So that took uh, Saturday and Sunday as well to fix it. <laughs> uh. Yeah, definitely. I remember that as well. That actually people yeah. were were online on Saturday, on Sunday, checking in, saying, "Hey, okay." It, where are we on this and is, is it solved yes or no and do we send out an email already saying it's solved or should we wait for that i think you were actually responsible for that weren't you peter yeah for the for the weekend the the, the evening and the weekend i was uh, doing this communication so uh yeah, bringing the people together again and and asking for the for the updates and sending out the message again so uh yeah it's quite uh it was quite a journey so to say definitely <laughs> for <Yeah>. that weekend. <laughs> But yeah, um, and the, the last part of is of course, uh, and that's how you opened this uh, this session. Uh, it is an issue, and during the issue, it's uh, it's stressful. But afterwards, uh, yeah, you want to learn from it, and that's what we uh, what we try to achieve. So uh, yeah, the dust settled. Uh, what what did we learn? What was um, what was for you the outcome? Well. At some point, we were definitely lucky because this happened around five o'clock or well, around that time, and people were actually still in the office. Uh, Bull.com is quite famous for for their bowls at, at at Friday, so we actually had some people who like had their first chuck of beer and like, ah, there's an incident. Okay, okay. never mind. I'll just I'll just put it down again and get back to work. So that was that was that was a little bit lucky. Um, we split it in two teams, which was actually a very good option, especially since the the, the two strategies that the teams had. So one focusing on, you know, splitting the traffic between web and app and the app and the gateway. Um, 
was so much different from actually trying to figure out, hey, what can we, how can we trigger the app to, you know, get out of this boot loop and, and start working again. Uh, so that actually worked very well. And then especially with an incident manager bringing people together every 30 or 45 minutes, minutes. Mm. Uh, asking for a status update actually helped, you know, to, to get some insight in what the other group was doing as well. Um, well, we, we learned actually that the startup behavior for the apps is not that optimal, actually, because every time or as soon as the app starts up, there is about 10 to 15 API calls happening. The first ones are sequential, but then mostly parallel, like getting the screens for home, getting your wish list, those, those kind of things, getting your basket. And do you have already something that you intend to buy? Um, but especially if you're opening a, a push notification, you might wanna you know, check first what that push notification is, is actually saying. And maybe even if you can't actually verify that bol.com is online, maybe you shouldn't try to you know, do those 15 calls. Maybe you should just try one Stop. or two. Yeah, and yeah. if those are successful, then fan out to do the rest. So we basically learned that. We also learned that apparently, well, in, in that perspective, the iOS code was a little more sane than, than, uh, um, than the Android code because, well, iOS wasn't actually experiencing um, this issue. But what we also noticed, and that's actually quite nice, and I think we touched upon that actually before the before the podcast started, is that it actually brought people together. Um, and that might sound a little bit cheesy, but the, the people who are on C6, so the location where the war room is, is also the location where basically the systems engineers and the security engineers are. And usually those engineers are not the most beloved engineers in the company because they're, well, typically known for saying no to this brand new feature that you want to introduce or you want to work with a new framework or you want to you know install a third party that can then snoop around your data which is of course shit but on the side it typically can do very awesome things like make your build pipeline bigger or uh, increase your productivity or improve communication without uh, within the company those kind of things um, but we saw a whole different side of those engineers that were actually so knowledgeable about well, how the internet actually works, you know, how requests are formed from a device to, you know, a server on ball.com and what's actually going on, you know, in this weird ball that is that is called the internet, which as a software engineer, you don't really need to know about because you just say, I want to do an HTTP request. And on the other end, you basically receive that, but there's so much happening <laughs> in, in between. It, it, it really helps. Yeah. It's and lastly, time. I think um, the same actually goes for the app family as well. Um, it was just a month before the app teams would be reshuffled. We worked in discipline teams with one team responsible for the backend, one team for iOS, and one team for Android. And in a month's time, we would actually change that up to get more feature-oriented teams. So you would get two teams which would both have and backend capacity and Android capacity and iOS capacity. And people were still quite hesitant to actually go that way because they were used to, you know, work with people of the same discipline rather than just be one or the two iOS developers in the in the team. But actually, through the incident, we got to see an interesting side of one another that we were actually able to think alongside different disciplines, even though even though we weren't the expert, you know, on Android or on the backend. Conceptually, a lot of things are the same in software engineering. So it's actually nice to share that and get a broader perspective on things. Yeah, cool. 
Yeah, can I, and I, to add to that, uh, I also remember that um, we were, we are having the the retros uh, for for this incident, and that um, people like uh, from the teams, but also engineering managers involved uh, working together with you, uh, your team said, okay, uh, we were dragged into this uh, war room in this red room, uh, but actually. It was the first time people were doing stuff, but I didn't know what to do and what was expected from me. So, uh, yeah, you don't have that experience, luckily, uh, 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 on incident management, but once you need it, uh, you should be trained for it. So that's what uh, what was also picked up afterwards to, uh, yeah, to make a training for incident management and to share that with the whole uh, IT department and, and ask people, yeah, it actually is now part of the onboarding already to make people aware and and yeah, at least that you know what is expected from you when you're dragged in in such a room or in a virtual room to fix stuff <laughs> so that yeah, was it's also a, it's a great uh, outcome uh, definitely yeah. a great outcome i really like that cool hey yeah um looking at peter paul already um, um yeah yeah so 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 what we we we've basically touched upon stopping the bleeding and then like like doing the first uh yeah <laughs> taking the first real measures, but then there are also often like long-term measures. Okay, not this weekend, but in the weeks after this incident, we should also fix, uh, yeah, and then there are some things. What, what did we definitely have to fix to prevent these things from happening again? I'm still also, uh, can you mention a few examples of them, uh, Julius? Sure, I can uh, briefly touch on those. Um, first and foremost, the, uh, the, the the thing that our pen test actually discovered shouldn't be available, right? He found the vulnerability that he could actually send a push notification to himself and then accidentally actually to everybody rather than just himself. Well, that should definitely never be possible. Only people with certain rights should be right. able to send a message to themselves and sending people to everybody. Probably something we don't want to have at all. Um, meanwhile, we have migrated to a complete other uh, push notification uh, service, basically, which is a third party as well. Um, so we don't necessarily have to worry about that aspect as well. Uh, but we did solve that by basically disabling the whole API on it altogether uh, and only making that available uh, from the service to a service call rather than also from a UI in a browser which is a typical setup at ball.com. You have like the internal services, which you can all visit on a, on a web UI. They have a nice description, but also they, they post a swagger UI in which you can actually dynamically interact uh, with the service. And typically that is restricted on production, but is allowed on the, on the pre-production stages. So staging or test, those kind of things. One thing we did do is we blocked all traffic um, for uh, those users that were in a boot loop, but at some point in time, every, nobody would be in a boot loop anymore. But it might be that the behavior that we sort of set or a pattern that we recognize for that could be something different or could be something legit in the near future. So we actually had to remove that as well. Um, we also learned that we needed to make people more aware of, especially in the systems area, of how actually the connections are formed from devices to either the web shield and the app, um, because it wasn't a wish list of just one systems engineer, and we were very lucky that that systems engineer was actually about to have a baby with his wife. You know, she hadn't it hadn't popped yet, so he was still there. But would would this occur a week later? Would probably be 
well, in a little more trouble, and it would definitely be more than those 11 minutes that the website was actually down. Um, and one important thing was also that we don't really want wanted to admit that, but it was true. We kind of lacked the uh, possibility to granularly shut down, say, the the package service at, at Halbert Heim and trying to use for scanning or specifically the app or specifically the retail platform or I think even the the, the Billy Chatbot was also some of those paths. Uh, we weren't really able to um, granularly turn those on and off but we also weren't really open in the communication during the incident to all those third parties because we just thought that it is mo mostly limited to just the app, just webshop, well not just <laughs> the app, webshop and, um, and and the retail platform but there were so many more smaller parties that were also affected when we actually needed to do a better job in uh, in communication and i think we have really improved that um, throughout the two years that have passed yeah right yes yeah yeah so peter paul other questions left i think that it's time for a famous last uh, question eh? <laughs> Peter, so so Julius, what's your most important takeaway for our listeners? If I need to go with the most important, it's something I want to reiterate from the beginning um, that incidents are a part of of your life if you're a software engineer, especially in an environment such as Bull.com or name any other uh, relatively big company. And what you should really take away from this is that there's no shame in failure, only growth. You can only get better if you fall down every once in a while, because the cost of failure is education. Yeah, Julius, yeah, you, you wanted to say one last thing, right, before we really close off. Yeah, I actually, yes, I actually wanted to start off with a little with a little, little teaser, a little question at the end, because uh, in the beginning of 2021, so this year, on January 1st at four o'clock in the morning from bull.com, we weren't able to send out any push notification anymore. And I am wondering if you as a listener can tell me why. So why was bull.com not able to send out push notifications starting January 1st, four o'clock in the morning? So I think that's a great brain teaser. And if you know, let us know. Uh, Either via our Twitter account or uh, on the uh, as a comment on the LinkedIn post where we will also share this uh, episode, and we'll uh, get back to you if you're right on this one. Thanks, Julius. From a, yeah, from a personal perspective, it would be an awesome idea not to able to send out messages uh, at four o'clock in the night uh, in uh, on uh, New Year's Day <laughs> in your drunk uh, situation, but. Uh, <laughs> This is a, a nice question. <laughs> Sorry, Peter Paul, <laughs> just thinking out loud. No worries. <laughs> no, thanks. Thanks. I like the episode. Thanks, Julius, for sharing all this. And uh, I think that your the motto that you shared uh, with the listeners, eh? that it's especially about growth. And uh, I think that uh, yeah, that's that's uh, indeed the, the key takeaway. And uh, we hope that a lot of our listeners uh, learned uh, uh, or were inspired by uh, by the episode today. Thanks, Judas, for sharing. Thanks for having me. It was a great time. Thanks. Thanks for listening to this episode. 
If you liked the episode, check some of the others. Go to Spotify or iTunes, search for Tech Lab and subscribe. Leave a five-star review so others can find the podcast easier and spread the word. We like interactions, so if you have any questions or suggestions, find us on Twitter, LinkedIn or mail techlab at doll.com. Hope to meet you in our next episode. Have fun!